Hello, my name is Victoria and I have been attending TCC for eight months and this morning's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 2 verses 8 to 15 and Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 to 24 and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Now the Lord God had planted in the garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold is that the land is good, aromatic raisin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the first river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work at it and take care of it. And Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And the same passages in Ukrainian. Буття 2, вірші з 8 по 15. І насадив Господь Бог райву в Едемі на сході, і там осадив людину, що її він створив. І зростив Господь Бог із землі кожне дерево, принадне на вигляд і на їжу смачне. І дерево життя посеред раю, і дерево пізнання добра і зла. І річка Зодену виходить, щоб поїти рай. І звідти розділюється, і стає чотирма початками. І імені одному пішон, оточує він всю землю хавіла, де є золото, а золото тієї землі добре, там бділі і камінь Онікс. Ім'я ж другої річки Гіхон, вона оточує весь край Етіопії, а ім'я річки третьої Тигр, вона протікає на сході Ашуру, а річка четверта вона Єфрат. І взяв Господь Бог людину, і в Еденському раю вмістив був її, щоб порила його та його доглядала. Віслання до Колосян, розділ 3, вірші з 23 по 24. І все, що тільки очинити, робіть від душі, немов Господові, а не людям. Знайте, що від Господа приймете в нагороду спадщину, бо служите ви Господові Христову. Слово Бога, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Victoria. He is risen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're ever asked to read scripture and you speak another language, um, let us know, because we just love celebrating um, our, our diversity, and that is such a, an easy way to do that. Well, this morning, um, I stand up here with a heart full of gratitude. Um, it's amazing to me that six years has gone by that I've been able to serve here at Twilliger Community Church. Um, and this congregation has been just such an incredible encouragement to me. 
Um, you've let me come up here and open the Word of God. You've sat in my weekly classes um, of Equip where we've talked about how to read the Bible and how to pray. You've, you've endured me learning and growing in my call to ministry and to now affirm that call through the ordination process is just an incredible privilege uh, that I have. So I thank you for that. Uh, the elders, and by extension, you as a congregation, have recently put me through the most grueling examination of my theology, character, and calling that I have ever experienced. Um, but as a result of that process, I will tonight be publicly affirmed uh, in my calling to serve full-time as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the context of the local church. And so I thank you for that. Um, but it's interesting because there's actually a bit of a danger in ordination. And that danger isn't so much for me. For me, it's an affirmation. It is this exciting process in my story and journey. Uh, but the danger is for you. The danger is that you would see my work as a pastor, an ordained minister of the gospel. The danger is that you would see my contribution for God as somehow more important or more significant than your contribution to the work and the ministry of God. So today on this Sunday for me, this, we'll be having the ordination service this afternoon. I, I feel it is so fitting for us to talk about contribution and work. To talk about my contribution, your contribution towards the work of God. And to invite all of us to see that no matter your job... No matter your season of life, whether you are a student in junior high or high school, whether you are someone who's been employed in the same place of work for decades or you are enjoying your retirement, whether you are a stay-at-home parent or someone who just works part-time casually or someone who volunteers their time, no matter what you do, we all have a significant role to play in doing the work of God. And so that is what I want to talk about this morning. We are called, we are all called by God to do the work of God. Let's talk about that this morning. Let's, let's pray together before we jump in here. Yeah, Father, we celebrate again this morning that Christ Jesus has indeed risen from the grave. And Lord, as we talked about on Easter Sunday morning, you rose from the dead, Jesus, for many reasons, but one of them was to continue your work in the world through us. And Lord, as we consider that this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help our hearts to receive, our ears to hear, all that you have for us. Jesus, would you light up our imagination? Help us to see where you are at work already in our lives. And may you grow in us a passion to do the work that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. A conversation on work and calling begins for us this morning in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see God at work. God is doing a very important work. God is creating the universe with words. And day after day, we see this progression of God going about his work, and at the conclusion of each day, this declaration that it is good. God is doing a good work. And in Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning, we read that, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. 
And he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God is one who works. And the work that he does is good. And part of that work was to create humanity. In Genesis chapter 1, starting in 27, we read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In verse 28, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here in Genesis 1, God not only creates humanity, but he gives them something to do. These are the things, humans, that I want you to do. And the word I want to focus on in this text here is the word dominion. Because this word is interesting because... At the heart of it, we have this idea of, of humanity being given opportunity to have influence, to exercise their will over creation. But this word dominion in the ancient Near East was a word that was often reserved for kings or for pharaohs. Those who were believed to be equal to God were the ones who had dominion, the ability to rule and reign, to exercise their will over creation. So we have in Genesis 1, God saying, I'm giving you dominion, not to an individual, not to a king, but to all of his created people, which is really interesting and actually quite subversive when you think about it, that all people are invited to have dominion. John Mark Homer looks at this and says that in having dominion, we are invited to actively partner with God in taking the world forward. God created us to partner with him in his good work. Now, we keep reading in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, we have the description of Eden that Victoria read for us so eloquently. And, and it's so interesting because the description of Eden is describing for us all the raw materials of earth. We have, we have the rivers going through. We have gold. We have, we have um, onyx and stone there and on all these different things happening. And God takes his created people... And he puts them in the Garden of Eden again for a purpose. Where are they to have dominion? They're to have dominion in this garden, in Eden, and they are to work it and keep it. They are to work it and keep it. So God takes Adam, he puts him in this Garden of Eden full of all these raw materials, and he says to Adam, okay, get to work. Start working it. You know, crops left to their own are going to get overrun with weeds. They're going to get eaten by livestock. But crops that are cultivated by people flourish and grow to abundance. The yield grows and grows and grows. And so Adam was put in the garden and there he is cultivating the garden. He is developing the garden. He is growing it. He is drawing out its potential in partnership with God's good work. Timothy Keller work as rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of all. Is that not a beautiful description of work? That's what Adam is doing here in the Garden of Eden. And I want to suggest to us that this is what you and I are invited to do in our day to day. As crops and watch those crops grow, they take care of them, they harvest them. They're sent to the manufacturing plants where they are again rearranged and repackaged and sent to bakeries and different restaurants across our city where those raw materials are again rearranged to create cookies and cakes 
and delicious things that we get to enjoy. The rearrangement of materials happens on job sites across our city when raw material is dropped off in front of a hole in the ground. And day after day goes by where workers rearrange all those materials and walls go up and a roof goes on and where there was once a hole, there is now a house. The rearranging of raw materials happens when teachers stand in front of classrooms and instruct children and teach them, rearranging words, rearranging papers, rearranging the space that they are in to help those children flourish and grow and learn. No matter the work that we are doing, we have the opportunity to rearrange for the flourishing of all. So Adam was instructed to work it, but he was also instructed to keep it. To watch over Eden and to guard it. And it's, it's interesting when we think about Eden, because it's, it's this heaven-like place, right? It's this paradise on earth that we, we picture in our minds that's just somewhere over there. And, and it's now guarded. We're not allowed in it because of sin. These types of things. But the image of Eden that I find so fascinating when we partner this section of Genesis chapter 2 and we go back to Genesis chapter 128, if the purpose of humanity not only was to have dominion but to be fruitful and multiply, what is the natural outworking of being fruitful and multiplying? Well, the boundaries of Eden would have had to expand as children had children and children had children and generations began to fill the Garden of Eden. The role of humanity in that place was to live in union and partnership with God and to expand the boundaries of Eden beyond its original place, to watch it grow out over all of God's creation. That is the image that we have in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. They were to guard it. They were to take the boundaries of Eden out all over creation. Now, a couple of things I want us to notice from Genesis 1 and 2. The first is that work exists pre-fall. <laughs> Do you notice that? Work is not something you or I need to be saved from. <laughs> work is not something that is a consequence of sin, but it is, is something that God actually created you and I to do. That's a very important thing for us to notice. The, the second thing we should notice is that the vision for work is participation with God in cultivating beauty. So here we have in Genesis these two pieces. That, that, that work is happening in the context of all the beauty, all the, good, all the goodness, all the righteousness before the fall. And that the vision of having dominion and working with God is we're moving God's original intent of creation. And we're expanding it and watching it grow. Now these two ideas stand in contrast to our culture's understanding of work, does it not? This idea of work not being something saved from. So often in our culture, people talk about working for the weekend. That, that work is this, this terrible place that I just need to get out of. Our, our culture celebrates Freedom 55 and try to retire as soon as you can. Get as much wealth as fast as you can so you can just live the good life of rest and relaxation. We live in a culture where people dread Mondays. Wednesdays are the hump day, and Friday is the best day of the week. Why? Because work is over. Do you see how that stands in stark contrast to the vision for work that we're given in Genesis? Work is not something we're meant to be saved from. And the, but on the other side, the extreme in our culture, we have workaholism. 
where people are working for all the wrong reasons, where our very identity as people can get caught up in our work, that we are what we do, that our value is tied up in how much that we can produce. And, and our image, the people, when people look at us, they're going to judge us by how well we work or how well we perform in the context of our workplace. All of this is to the wrong end. Work becomes a means to, to gaining and moving forward and growing our own glory. Again, in contrast to the Genesis 1 and 2 vision of work. No longer is it participation with God and seeing his goodness expand around the world. But work can become this self-glorifying thing that we do to bring attention and glory to ourselves. Now, I believe these two things happen because in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. God's good vision for work and for humanity is shattered. The relationship is broken. Work is now corrupted. Where work was meant to be about cultivating goodness and beauty, so often people use work as a way to push down other people, to push personal agendas to, to the benefit or gain of an individual and to the neglect of the many. Work is used to build up hierarchies that prioritize some over others. Where workers are viewed as machines and are not taken care of in a proper way with equity. Where the beauty and the righteousness that should be cultivated in the name of Jesus to the glory of God is about men and their kingdoms. This is all a corruption. Then we come to Jesus in the New Testament who does a work on the cross that seeks to restore things back to its original created intent. And it's so interesting, in Ephesians chapter 2, we have this familiar passage. And we'll start in verse 8, where Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Jesus has done a redeeming work. Jesus has done something that you could not do of yourself. Jesus has worked salvation. This is not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. And he goes on, For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. His saving work has done a work in us, created in Christ Jesus for what? For rest and relaxation? To put our feet up and just enjoy the good life? No. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is interesting in Ephesians chapter 2, if you look at the beginning of the chapter, because Paul is contrasting life before Jesus to life after. The beginning of chapter 2, he says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sin. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air and the passions of your own flesh. You were carrying out the desires of the body. But God intervenes. He comes in. He works salvation. Jesus redeems work. Friends, the good news of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, part of that redemption is that Jesus' saving work redeems the biblical image of work. In Christ, we are to be active and productive. In Christ, we are to be going on in God's work, with God's work in the world, spreading life. And vitality. Do you see the beauty in that? God has created us. 
And he has called each and every one of us to contribute towards his goodness and his beauty and his righteousness in the world. He is at work in our world. God is already up to something in our world. And he's inviting us to come alongside him and participate in what he is up to. That is not reserved for pastors. That is not reserved for ministry staff at a church. That is not reserved for missionaries. That is for all of us. Every single one of you who are following Jesus are invited to the good work that God is doing, to participate in that good work that God is doing. So what does this look like? How do we begin to capture a biblical imagination for work and calling? Um, Bridgetown Church in Portland has, has done a lot of, they've done many sermons on vocation and work and calling, and they are very, very good. Um, these application points I'm borrowing from John Mark Comer, uh, so I'm ripping them off, letting you know that I'm doing that. So credit to him on these, and I really love his progression. Um, and this isn't unique either. I found the same progression in other writings. Um, but when we think about engaging in our lives in such a way where we're participating in the work that God is doing, the first thing we need to do is recognize that our first and primary calling is to follow Jesus. Our first and primary calling is to follow Jesus. And here at TCC, we understand that following Jesus means that we are with him, that we devote time and energy into spending time with Jesus in prayer, reflection on his word, opportunities to to spend time in silence and solitude, that we be with him for the goal of becoming more like him. That as we spend time with Jesus, over time, we are changed, that, that our character changes, that our understanding of the world changes, that we see things the way that Jesus sees things, that we become people of love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then as we become like him, inevitably we end up doing what he does. We go about our responsibilities and tasks in the world as if Jesus were us. <laughs> We do the things in life as if Jesus were doing them. Jesus demonstrates for us that life with, what life with God is meant to look like, and he invites us to follow him in, that, in living that same life. And he says that that life is abundance. So when we think about doing the work of God, it begins by recognizing we're first called to follow him. Second, we need to recognize that our work is the primary context in which we follow Jesus. Your work is the primary context in which you follow Jesus. Now something we often come up against in our Christian lives is the temptation to divide the Jesus part of our lives with all the other parts of our lives. And what I mean by that is it's easy for us to say, well, when I think about my spirituality or my commitment to my faith. Well, that's like my devotions in the morning. I pray when I'm driving to work. I I spend time meditating and all these things. I read the Bible. It's all really good. But then on this side of our lives, it's like, well, but this is all the other stuff, you know? This is my recreation. This is my work. This is the other parts of my life. And, And Jesus, he can have my morning devotions. He can have my Sunday mornings. I'll even give of my finances to his work. But this other stuff, you know, it's, what is, he doesn't really care about that, does he? And we run into this sacred and secular divide. As if there's parts of our lives that are holy and there's other parts that are just, well, they're the other parts, you know? And we fail to capture the imagination that that Scripture gives us that, that Jesus wants all of it. And he wants to be in all of it. 
And the abundant life that he has for us is not just abundance in terms of spirituality or religion, but it's abundance in everything. In our recreation, in our play, in our hobbies, in our work. I love what um, Romans chapter 12 speaks to this reality. Um, Paul writes, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give it all to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Eugene Peterson in the message uh, paraphrases this passage by writing, so here's what I want to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit it in without even thinking, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly. Respond to it. So there is no sacred, secular divide. Jesus wants all of it. And if the first part is true, that our primary and first calling is following Jesus, and we apply that to the second part, that our work is the context in, in which we walk with Jesus, we're left with this question, what if your work is the primary context in which you will, over time, become more like Jesus? You know, I was thinking about this in relation to, um, you, you know, I, I think, again, in our, our spiritual lives. It's like, I just, I want to start my day with my devotions and my prayer. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get filled up with Jesus, and then I'm going to go into my day, right? And hopefully it's a good day. You know, when I was working in the trades, we'd always have our toolbox meetings. And uh, they were mandatory by, by OH&S. We had to have, like, a safety meeting. So we'd all gather around at the truck, and we would talk about the day we would talk about all the things we were going to do. We would talk about how we were going to do it safely, right? Uh, so we'd have these meetings. And then we'd go into our day. And, and what I liked about those meetings was it was like, okay, that was the space where we processed, what are we going to do today? What walls are we building today? What part of the house are we working at? And then we'd go into the day. And I wonder if our time with Jesus in the morning needs to be more like a toolbox meeting rather than whatever, we, you know, whatever our mindset is for devotions. Where it's not so much about getting filled up with Jesus and then walking into our day hoping everything works out. But at a toolbox meeting, it's like you're figuring out what you're doing. And then you're going to walk into the rest of the day with all your coworkers and all your team and all your plan. And you're going to do the stuff together that you planned on doing at the beginning of the day. Friends, I think that's the image that we have of what Jesus wants to do with us in our lives as we walk with him in the context of our day-to-day lives. He wants to be with us in everything. He wants to be with us in every part of our day. He wants to be with you as you're sitting at your desk doing your work. He wants to be with you as you stand in front of a classroom of kids and teach them about algebra or geography or how to read. He wants to be with you, those of you who are parents at home with your kids full time. He wants to be with you when you're scrubbing toilets and preparing craft dinner on the stove and breaking up the fight between siblings. He wants to be with you In the midst of meetings and planning and strategizing for your company and figuring out the best way forward as you lead your staff and teams. He wants to be with you in your part-time jobs. Students, he wants to be with you as you write papers and exams. As you walk through the classrooms and the hallways of your school, he wants to be with you 
as you go about your work, as you recognize that your work is actually his work. How does this play out? Well, this is where we turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Again, a familiar passage. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward, because you are serving the Lord your Christ. Friends, I, I want you to just pause and think about your day. Think about tomorrow morning. Whatever you have going on, whatever responsibilities you need to engage in, just think about that. Okay? What are you doing tomorrow? What's on the to-do list? You got it in your heads? Okay? Now, according to Colossians chapter 3, as you go about those responsibilities tomorrow, who do you work for? Jesus. Jesus is your boss, <laughs> according to Colossians chapter 3. When you start your day tomorrow, whether you're employed, working downtown, or have a principal you report to at your school, or a teacher that you're handing in an assignment to, the vision of Colossians chapter 3 is that your, who you are actually reporting to at the end of the day is Jesus. So yes, you have an earthly employer. Yes, you have a boss or a team you're accountable to. But ultimately, we're accountable to Jesus. And parents, sometimes we feel like our kids are the boss, don't we? (laughs) But we're working for Jesus in all that we do. Which means we need to do everything as Jesus would do it. With love and with excellence. Working unto the Lord. And trusting that he's going to empower us and give us the strength that we need to do everything with excellence. Because he is a good boss. Now keep thinking about what you need to do. And, and when you think about all that you need to do, according to Colossians here, what of your work is done to the Lord? What parts of your work, what part of your day is done unto the Lord? Everything, okay? Everything. Every part of your day, Jesus is your boss. It's all done unto the Lord. You know, the shame, I think, in some, some of our Christian thinking is that if we brought up onto stage a, a carpenter and a pastor and a nurse and a lawyer, and we said, which one of these is working unto the Lord? We'd say, well, the pastor, obviously. But not according to Colossians chapter 3. According to Colossians chapter 3, the work of the carpenter and the the lawyer and the engineer and the nurse, their work is as much unto the Lord as that of a pastor or an ordained minister. Friends, there's no such thing as a job being more unto the Lord than to another. This is something Martin Luther was very passionate about in the Reformation with a huge emphasis on uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3. It talks about the priesthood of all believers. That all of us are representatives of God. All of us are going about our lives representing God in our various workplaces. Now these first two elements are a general calling. We are called to follow Jesus. um, And the second part that we are to see our context as the primary place where we're living out that calling of following Jesus. But there's also a specific calling that I believe each and every one of us has. We need to engage in our unique role of working towards God's vision for human flourishing. 
Here we often run up into the word vocation, uh, which is very simply just Latin for calling. Um, At TCC, we see vocation as one of our spiritual practices, which is to say that we need to be intentional when we consider vocation. Recognizing that God has called us to something, God has given us resources and capacity that we can contribute towards the flourishing of all. But vocation recognizes that you have a unique contribution in the world. That your person, your personality, your giftings, your resources, your talents, your context, all of that is unique. You are uniquely positioned to bring about God's beauty and goodness and righteousness. You are in a place that I could never be. You are doing things that I could never do. You are representing Jesus in a place where maybe no one else is. There's something unique about that. And as we discern our vocation, what God is calling us to do, uh, we get to engage in this mission of furthering God's goodness and beauty and righteousness in the world. And sometimes it just looks very different than we think. Michael Goheen uh, has written a book called The Symphony of Mission. And he talks about a man named Bruce who was a garbage man. And Bruce believed he was called by God to be a garbage man in his city. So he did his work unto the Lord with great passion. And he saw on one hand amazing opportunities to disciple the other men that he worked with. But he also came to have great joy in picking up garbage. And he says about his role that the reason I find so much joy in my work is that I believe every inch of this world belongs to God and that by keeping the city clean, I am serving him. I love that. In something as simple as keeping a community clean, we can live out our vocation and calling. I think one of the things about vocation that we find so paralyzing is that we live in an influencer culture Or we have all these TikTok accounts and and Facebook and things that are putting up on a pedestal individuals who we believe are doing great things. And we see that and we think, I could never do that. That is too great. Or we think that in order to have influence, I need to have a big platform. Or I need to have this, that, or the other things. Have you guys ever heard the starfish story? A kid is walking along the beach and all these starfish have been washed onto shore. So he starts picking up starfish and throwing them back in the water. And there's hundreds of starfish. And a man comes along and he says, kid, what's the point? There's hundreds of starfish here. You're not going to make a difference. These starfish are just going to dry out on the beach. And he picks up a starfish, he throws it in the water. And he looks at the guy and he said, well, I made a difference for that one. Picks up another one, throws it in. Difference for that one. In our influencing culture, we need to have and recapture the vision of making a difference for that one. To have eyes to see what God is doing around us. Maybe in the life of a coworker, a stranger on the bus, a kid in the classroom. And, and to see maybe where God might be inviting you to come and bring the light of Jesus to those people. To come and serve them. To come and see those needs and respond to them. So it's not about being this big influencer. But it's about hearing God's call and responding to it. 
It's about asking the question, how would Jesus do your job if he were you? How would Jesus go about his day if he were you? And allowing that prayer, that question to saturate your imagination and to inspire the, every act that you engage in day in and day out. For those of you who are retired, this type of message might be confusing, but I just want to say to you, you are more strategically positioned than maybe you have ever been to contribute to God's work in the world. You need to ask Jesus, in this season of retirement, what does my contribution look like now? What does my work look like now in this season of life? Frederick Buchner is famously quoted uh, for saying that the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I just love this quote. I think us figuring out our calling often just begins with asking the question, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? And, And what if you could do the things you love to do for the glory of God? (laughs) Invite Jesus into that. Allow him to shape the way that you go about doing the things you love to do. That we do all things to the glory of God. We keep our eyes open, our ears attentive to see where God is at work in our context and we join in on that work. This quote has had a huge impact on my own life. Um, I, when in my early 20s, I was working full-time as a carpenter. I went on to get my ticket in, in, as a journeyman carpenter, and I loved building houses. It was something that brought me a lot of joy. And, but while I was doing this, I was also very involved at our church in Calgary. And I just remember spending hours and hours and hours at, at church in a volunteer capacity um, while working kind of that eight to five type job of, of building houses around Calgary. Um, and over time, um, this love for ministry just continued to grow. And it grew and it grew. And I remember um, after I finished my journeyman school and I remember going to the bank and figuring out, you know, I was starting to make more money. So I wanted to start saving more to, to buy a house and all these things. And it was shortly after that, that I really sensed the Lord begin to call me to pursue full-time ministry. And I remember how confusing that was because I was like, God, we just figured out this carpentry thing. We just, we just settled on this over here. But I had this growing passion for the church. And this growing conviction that God was calling me to get involved there. And it was in this season that those savings that we were beginning to put aside uh, to, to buy a home were going to be repurposed for us to go and, and get trained uh, in ministry and theology. In that season of my life, it was this recognition, recognition that the place of deep gladness and the world's deep hunger, for me, that met in the local church. And I really believe wholeheartedly that the church has a huge role to play in the world. That the church is meant to respond to the world's deep hunger as God ministers in and through it. And I consider it a joy to be a part of that work. But friends, each and every one of us have a unique contribution to God's work in the world. And I hope that you see your everyday your every day, your tomorrow morning as an opportunity to partner with God, 
to see what he's up to, to see what he's up to in the lives of your children as you parent them, to see what he's up to in your workplace, to see what he's up to in the classrooms, to see what he's up to in your retired communities, on a pickleball court, or wherever you may find yourself, and partner with him. Recognize that you are his workmanship. You are Christ's hands and his feet, called to take whatever context or space you've been given and move it, move it towards God's design and his original purpose. Friends, I hope this morning that I've been able to increase your understanding that when you begin your day tomorrow, you enter into a unique opportunity to partner with God and his good work in this world. I want to finish off um, in Isaiah. We don't typically do these types of things. Um, but in Isaiah chapter 6, we have the call of Isaiah. And it's a really fascinating passage. And um, Isaiah has this encounter with God, or he has, is having this vision, and he sees the Lord. And he, he exclaims, woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's, he's petrified. And what's so interesting that happens here is, is Isaiah has this encounter with God where God uh, purifies him and kind of restores him in that moment. And then Isaiah hears the voice of God calling out saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And having been purified, Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. I recognize that many of us are workplaces the culture we live in is we're surrounded by a people of unclean lips. We live in a world that is hostile towards God. And when we think of God's goodness and beauty and righteousness, we feel like we don't see it around as often as we would like to. But then we also feel petrified of who am I to do the work of God? Who am I to be God's representative? Who am I to be the hands and feet of Jesus? That's not me. That's my pastor. And that's certainly not me. (laughs) But friends, Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to bring him with you into every context you find him with, find yourself in. And in his finished work on the cross, he has made you right with the Father so that you with Isaiah can say, here I am. Send me, Lord. I'll go into my classroom. I'll go into my workplace. I'll go into my communities. I'll see the needs in the world and I'll respond to them because I know you are with me. So I want to invite you to close your eyes. Father God, as we process this, just give us grace by your Spirit. I want to invite you this morning, if you feel compelled by this vision, I want you to hear the voice of God saying, who will go for me? Edmonton is a dark place. There are a lot of needs. There is a lot of brokenness. Who will go for me? 
I just want to invite you, if you want to respond, here I am, stand me, send me. Just invite you to stand. And I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as well. So yeah, just with every eye closed, I just encourage you, if you want to respond to this invitation to see your work as an opportunity to partner with God, I just invite you to stand as a way to posture yourself to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for every person in this room. And Lord, for those who are standing this morning, who see their work as an opportunity to partner with you, to the flourishing of all people. And so Lord, I pray for these. Lord, would you just give them vision. God, when they think about the difficulties they face in their workplaces, in their schools, in their homes, when they think about all the times that they're up against difficulty, when they see needs around them, Lord, would you equip them by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond to those needs as you would, Jesus. God, as they go about their day, I pray that they would be overwhelmed with the knowledge that your Holy Spirit is with them, within them, longing to work through them. So Lord, may we be your hands. May we be your feet. May we be your mouth. As we go and do your work, Lord Jesus, as we go and engage in our contexts, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our leisure, in our hobbies. Jesus, would you be glorified? We pray in Jesus' name.